Hello, my name is Ben Oden. I'm an author, capacity building and leadership development trainer. Each week, Mimi, pamoja na viongozi mbalimbali who will be featured on this podcast, will bring you leadership principles, stories and philosophies that if applied will elevate you into a position of more influence among those you lead and those who lead you. Greetings to you. I hope you are doing well and are having a productive day. Welcome to another episode of the Why Lead Others podcast. I am your host, Ben Oden. Now, many organizations across the world were forced to adapt and to pivot in the last 13 to 15 months. And some organizations died because of their failure to adapt. Now, the ability to adapt and pivot is critical in the survival of an organization. In fact, um, Max McKeon says, all failure is failure to adapt. All success is successful adaptation. So it is in all of our best interest as leaders to learn how to adapt and how to build a culture of pivoting and build adaptable organizations. And so to have this conversation, I am joined by a person whose leadership journey is full of pivoting and adapting. She is the co-founder and CEO of Ubongo, an entertainment company that creates top quality localized entertainment to help Africa's 500 million kids learn and leverage their learning to change their lives. The impact of their work, the work that she and her team does, is felt in over 17 million families across Africa. Ladies and gentlemen, Nisha Ligon. Karibu, Nisha. Asante. Thanks for having me, Ben. Uh, my pleasure. Uh, so there's this phrase uh, or quote um, by Kakuzo Okakura, um, who was a Japanese scholar, says that says, the art of life lies in a constant readjustment to our surroundings. How has adaptability uh, looked like for Bongo pre-COVID? Uh, how has it looked like in the last seven years? And how has that experience helped you adapt during the COVID time? Yeah, I really like that quote. Um, I think it sums it up really well. Um, we live in such a rapidly changing world now. And so you have to really constantly adapt to try and figure out, um, you know, how to deal with, with the changes around you and, and how to make sure you're um, working towards your goal. Uh, you know, it's having that big vision, but then there are many different ways to get there. And sometimes the path towards it is going to be really different from maybe what you had originally thought. Um, so for us at Ubongo, we have been going for seven years now, and we have had to adapt constantly and do some pretty big pivots a couple of times. Um, what's interesting is if you are one of our users, you know, one of our viewers, or audience, you you really probably would have no idea because the the product we've been delivering, our educational cartoons, they've been very consistent. Of course, growing and improving, um, but not a lot of um, big changes on that side. Just new things we're adding on. But meanwhile, for us who are in the company, we've been really kind of constantly adapting and also making some big changes to make sure that we can deliver that in the best way. Um, so we started in 2013, and we started actually as a for-profit social enterprise. Uh, that was really because, you know, none of us had any kind of background in, in business or organizational development, and there was a lot of kind of 
hype around social enterprise at the time. There are all these amazing incubators and accelerators and pitch competitions that you could do. Um, and there was re- this real push to say that, um, you know, doing things in a way that would both make money and have impact um, was, you know, this this better way maybe to do development. And so we said, okay, great, we'll, we'll try it. Um, and so, yeah, we started out that way. We were able to get some, generate some revenue and really bootstrap at the beginning through getting um, sponsorship and advertising. And, and, you know, looking back on it now, we were just really lucky. We had a big bank come in uh, and sponsor and fund our first season of our first show. Yeah. We launched Dubongo Kids. But um, so we thought, hey, we have a business model. This is replicable. We'll go do this in other places. With the bank, it was so nice because we're basically teaching financial literacy, which is great for kids to learn anyway. Um, But kind of over the next year, as we're starting to try and raise capital and, you know, kind of replicate that business model, we realized that it it actually didn't work. We'd just gotten lucky with this one big deal um, and that other advertisers... um, kind of saw each other as competition, so no one wanted to join onto our show together and also wanted pretty unethical um, advertising towards children, which which we weren't comfortable with. Um, there were also issues with expanding into other markets. Um, so really, we realized that this business model didn't work. Um, the other way to potentially um, monetize was to do, you know, pay TV, put things behind a paywall, subscription, some kind of exclusivity. And that was really just antithetical to what we were trying to do at Ubongo, which was create educational media that's local for kids who didn't have access to anything else, you know, to bring this kind of digital media-based learning to kids at the bottom of the pyramid. So somehow putting it out there in a way where people had to pay or, or it was exclusive. So it defeats the purpose. Yeah, it wasn't going to allow us to do that. So, um, again, for us, the reason we were able to pivot is we knew what we were trying to do. Like, we were really clear on our vision and our goal, which was to reach kids at the bottom of the pyramid in Africa with local and effective learning content. And we realized that the best way to do that was really going to have to be subsidized. And so, um, you know, we didn't feel comfortable being a for-profit and then, say, charging money to, you know, international donors and bilaterals and then turning a profit on that and, and paying it back out, you know, to investors somewhere else. Um, you know, that, that was a possibility, but it didn't seem right for us, and we wanted any money we made to stay here locally. So we we hit, did a huge pivot, which was we said we went back to the investors who were investing in our round, who we'd been negotiating with for ages, and kind of had to say, actually, sorry, guys, we've changed our mind. Luckily, we hadn't signed any contracts yet. Yeah. Um, we're we're going to switch. We're not going to raise this money. Um, this is we can't commit that we're going to make money for you, and we're going to um, yeah switch to being a nonprofit. Uh, and that was a big decision to make from the point of view of how, who are we, right? And and luckily, you know, this wasn't just me making this decision. It really was the whole team, you know, the co-founders. We had a lot of um, 
back and forth about this. And, and actually, there was a lot of tension during the investment round. And, and what was amazing and how I knew this was really the right decision was that like everyone was so quickly to, able to get on board with this idea to switch. Yeah. Right. And then it, it just felt like, OK, if this is something where like there's no disagreement, we all agree and, and the team seemed right about it, too, then it was actually an easy decision to make. Yeah. It was a very hard transition to make, like. You know, you had to re-register entities, know, transfer yeah, stuff. So, so like, there's always these other kind of, like, um, you know, the administrative side of change, which especially, you know, when you're in places where there's not a lot of ease of doing business can be hard. But if you've got the buy-in around that and everyone understands the reason, um, it, you know, it, it gives you a reason to go through all those hurdles. And it was it was definitely the right choice for us. And, and, you know, there's been kind of no looking back. Um, we've kept going. So that's, you know, that, that was a big change for us. Um, we had to re-register entities. We had to change how we thought about, um, funding ourselves, you know, take people who had seen their role as being, my job is to find out how to make money and sell advertising to now, how do I get, um, you know, people to to give us donations and um, how do I show them that we're having impact for, you know, you still got to show value for money. It's just in a very different way now. Yeah. I, I like you, you mentioned something about uh, clarity um, that, you know, once you are clear on what you're trying to accomplish, then it's, it's easier to make those decisions. And I think, you know, something that you mentioned there, you know, there was an issue of values as well. You know, where you okay, pairing with this sponsor or organization goes against what we believe as a company. So there's this consistency of clarity. Uh, the more clear you are, uh, the easier it is to make some of those decisions. So what other, I guess, uh, mental models or principles that you have um, as a person and, of course, in, you know, Bongo as, as an organization that help when you, you know, when you get to this point where you have to make these decisions that sort of like bring an ease to the process? Yeah, I think that, you know, that sense of purpose and shared sense of purpose is really the, the critical bit. And I think we're really lucky as Ubongo where it's it's very clear, right? We, we don't have to um, do a lot of work to kind of make up the story of like, what is it we're trying to do here in the world? We have a big vision about transforming learning for kids, um, for hundreds of millions of kids. Uh, so we just kind of keep going back to that. And we we have a, an Ubongoers principle that we all always come back to that's just do it for the kids, right? At the end of the day, if we're making a decision, we have to think, is this going to be the right thing for yeah. the kids? And um, we, throughout the team, I really do believe that, that that's why people are doing what they're doing. So we, we've been able to have really strong alignment on that. And then it's easier to get people on board with sometimes making, um, you know, these big changes or decisions. It doesn't make change easy. It's never easy. But, but at least you're dealing with the why first. And if you can get people bought in on the why, then the what and the how and, and all of that can come later. Um, so I think it is having that that mental clarity, which I feel I've always kind of had, because, you know, when you start something that that's you're thinking that way all the time. But as you bring more people in and, and their work's a little bit more focused, 
you have to make it part of your vocabulary and remind people of that all the time and always tie it back to whatever that person purpose and mission is. Um, So I've really learned to do that a lot more and tried to get other people in our team to do it, you know, and and it's nice to see it's working. You know, sometimes it's just having these catchphrases that you always keep bringing back. Um, You know, we have other ones like fail fast, fail forward. And it, it, by having this kind of shared vocabulary, it, it builds culture around some of these ideals. Um, at a more structural level, we we use a system of objectives and key results. And, and to be honest, it hasn't ever worked. Like, we, we've not been implementing it amazingly, but it still helps us. And, and we're trying to get better at this now. Really align people around what is the big objective at a company level. And then, um, you know, and that objective is sometimes not quantifiable. It's a, it's a big vision goal. So, like, for us, it's reach all kids in Africa is one of the objectives. Um, and the number is always changing. It's going up right now. Um, but then we have these key results that tie into that objective, which are not, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. They are, how do I know I'm on the right track? Um, so they would tend to be like measurable things. So I think of the objective as like where we're going on the map. And then these key results are things like the speedometer, right? Mm -hmm. Are we going at the speed that we need to get there? So it could be indicators like, um, learning outcomes, like the number of kids we're currently reaching, um, our net promoter score or engagement. Those are all signs that we're working towards that bigger goal, um, And so that gives us a little bit more measurable way to know, are we getting to where we're going? But it's also not prescriptive, right? So we as a company can still adjust what we're actually doing, right? It's not a task list. We can change what those tasks and actions we take are um, to adjust and make sure we're getting towards those goals. And at the individual level, the ideal, and, and, you know, we're trying to make this work throughout the company. I'm not sure we have it completely there yet, but the ideal is that you're agreeing with each person where they're trying to get to and how you know they're getting there, but they can make those decisions on the way there because you need this pivoting and adjustment to happen, not just at a company level, but also at a team level and at an individual level. And you want people empowered to make those decisions to adjust themselves, as long as they know, hey, I know where I'm going, I have to adjust to get there. If you can give people ownership of those decisions, um, then it's a lot better than coming in from above and being like, hey, actually, you know, what you're doing, it doesn't seem to be working. We'll try this instead. Um, So I think that's, you know, it's where we're trying to get to. Um, and I think having a system like that, whether it's objectives and key results or other ways of having metrics or, or KPIs that are telling you not what to do, but where, you know, if you're on track to where you're going can actually help people, um, get into this mindset where it's okay to change. It's okay to adapt. It's okay to fail, as long as it's getting us towards where we're trying to go instead of here's my work plan for one year, here's exactly what I'm going to do. And if something changes now, oh my gosh, it's like completely off the rails. Yeah. And I like that. I think um, what you just said about prescriptions, I think, I, I think I believe that people, we tend to like prescriptions because it's easy. This is the map. This is how you do it, right? Uh, but in, in business, and I'm sure you know you've 
continue to share your experience. It's prescriptions rarely work. It's, you know, you have to, that's why we have, a, people have to adapt because there isn't, you know, a formula to how everything works. There are general principles that, you know, that you can apply. But I think a good example is your journey. You know, I think no one can prescribe, you know, what's the way to build a startup in Tanzania. It's, it's almost impossible because it's all unique and circumstances are changing all the time. So I like that fact that, you know, you know, it's not really about having an adaptive event, but it's about, you know, making it part of the culture every day. And everyone is all the time thinking about, you know, how do I change based on my changing circumstances, environments. And also like what you said about, you know, the whole why, um, there's this book uh, called Three Laws of Performance by Dave Logan, where he says, um, one of the principles to get people to really um, perform at a high level is language, introducing la certain vocabulary and phrases and words uh, into, I guess, into their psyche, into the workplace. Uh, that can really get them. So I also like the fact that, you know what, you also mentioned that you know, it's about introducing these phrases where you carry the vision, but you want everybody else to know and in real time, why we are doing what we're doing, why we are making taking this turn, why we're heading there. So I like the fact that, you know, the intentionality in introducing language that also helps people, you know, make those turns and continue to stay in that state. Now, in adaptation, um, one school of thought says, you know, you have to preserve some things and you have to leave behind some things. You know, So there's a certain sense of loss in terms of, okay, I'm keeping this and I am letting go of this. So how do you know what to keep? And what to leave behind? I mean, you mentioned you know you uh, went from being a full profit and for non you know and becoming a non profit. In that change, how did you know what elements of Ubongo to keep and what elements of Ubongo to leave behind? And in just different changes, even something as recent as the COVID, you know, suddenly you're working from home. How? What do you keep? What do you let go? Yeah, it's a good question, and I think actually. Um this is somewhere where maybe I, I don't give it enough thought. I tend to be a very forward-thinking person. And, and I think the types of people who found things are generally a little bit less resistant to change. Generally, like people who get very excited about new ideas or like are responding and adapting quickly. And of course, things get left behind. And sometimes those things are really important to people. And this is a lesson I've been learning, right? Which is that like, it's not just about always moving forward, but it's about thinking about those things too and, and making sure that, um, you know, if you've, if you've got to lay something to rest, honoring it, making sure that the people who that's very near and dear to them can are, are doing that too and that you're recognizing um, that the, you know, that those things were meaningful. And this is something that, that we really have been trying to build into our mindset. I think I mentioned fail fast, fail mm -hmm. forward before. Um, you know, people can get very precious about work, especially if we've spent a lot of time and effort on it. Um, so whether that was a relationship that was built with an advertiser, you know, who we had to let go that maybe took a year to get on board with. And now it's like, oh, that's not our model anymore. Or content we created, which takes a long time, but maybe we realize it just doesn't quite work in the right way. We have to lay it to rest. And if you, I think if you can have this learning mindset where that was not time wasted, that was time learning, right? If, if you're Failure is learning the only, it's not about actually finding out what works, right? It's about trying a bunch of things that don't work, which leads you in the direction of what's going to work. Mm. Um, so taking that time to reflect, what did we learn here? What came out of it? Wow, this is a big accomplishment. 
And instead of being like, oh, no, cutting that thing out, leaving it behind um, is, is really important. And then we try and reflect upon lessons learned a lot. And I think that also helps to frame these things. So with COVID, um, when schools closed here in East Africa, which happened over the course of a couple of weeks, um, we responded very fast. And I think um, it was a little bit of whiplash, especially for somewhat newer people who'd come into the organization once we were a little bit more mature. So weren't used to, like, I think for the people who were here early, it's like, ah, you know, yeah. you get used to the pivots and twists and turns. But but for for some people, it was some real whiplash because it was like, okay, you, you can spend a long time cultivating um, a certain way of doing things, which immediately just felt like it needed to change for us to be able to deliver what users needed. So we said, hey, we're going to make all of our content just freely available, even the new stuff, go and download it, put it on your TV show or on your TV channel. Um, and we even like built an online platform for people to be able to do that. But of course, it you're kind of leaving behind a model where you had a lot more control. Like we were giving stuff for free to TV stations anyway, but generally with like a very deep contract negotiation and things like that. Um, and I think, you know, in my mind, everything was a gain given the situation. Like the, we just need this content to be everywhere. Kids are out of school. They need it on the radio. They need to learn. Um, but for, for people who had been building a system, right, to be able to track where's our stuff all the time and report against that, it was creating complete chaos, right? Mm -hmm. And we were having to kind of leave that system behind. And I did not, I think it, it eventually became okay because I realized that and, you know, we were able to have those conversations and then also give ownership of the people who'd had the old system to build a new one. Mm. And then again, it changed from being like leaving something behind to again, pivoting and creating something new and creating a new opportunity. Mm. And so the people on our team who had before been maybe talking one-on-one -on -one with broadcasters were now actually having the exciting opportunity of building systems for how we can distribute content to even more places. And, um, you know, developed a really amazing web portal where now any TV station can come in, sign up, explain how they're going to use things by clicking a couple of boxes and get immediately access to content. But then our team who needed information and contacts and, and to be able to follow things up, we're also getting that. So, yeah, I think it is, I feel like I've wandered here, but what I'm getting to as I've been thinking through it is that instead of framing things as leaving behind, framing them as learning and then figuring out what's the opportunity that we have as an organization or even an individual has to build from that and letting yeah. them have ownership of the new thing. What you never want to be doing is like cutting out something that was precious to someone and not giving them that kind of power and empowerment to figure out what's next and create the next new thing. Mm. Um, I think if you come in and say, hey, thank you guys, you've been doing all of this, but but it's done. Yeah. Here's what we're doing now. It's, it's, you're forcing change, you're not allowing people to adapt. Um, I like that. You're forcing change, you're not allowing people to adapt. Now, something else, um, because, you know, as I was listening, um, 
these fast and quick changes, um, depending on the person, I guess, and the personality and where they are in their growth as well, is you can say it can create whiplash, right? And you know, so and, and people, it can lead to resistance, uh, like creativity resistance, in a sense, because now I know. Who knows what's going to happen next month, right? I might actually be working on something, you know, here. I might be pouring so much into this only for it to be irrelevant in the next couple of months. So how do you get people excited? You know, uh, always excited to try new things, to do something, knowing that we could potentially just, you know, uh, drop this in the next couple of months, you know. And so there's that, emo- I'm sure, you know, any form of loss, it comes with some emotional baggage in a sense, you know, because oh, this is so precious to me and I'm letting it go. But so in those moments, how do you get people excited to get back in and trying to figure out this new thing? It's how, you know, how do you manage that excitement and engagement? Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's one formula for for everyone, but I I do think, you know, it's that ownership and engagement is is so critical. And COVID has forced us to, I think, think about this a lot more. Um, So I think, again, seeing these kind of things we're doing that may get left behind or or die, not as thing, you know, things that we're cutting out, but rather as learning. Um, And there's a saying I love, I'm not sure that everyone's gotten on board with it yet, but that like doing is the best kind of thinking. Right. So I don't like to sit around and just think or like argue about what will work a lot. Well, I do find myself doing that, but the the best way is you just do it and you see whether it's not going to, whether it's going to work or not. And then if you take that kind of attitude towards things, the doing was a necessary process, but you were never attached to whether, you know, it it would be kept or not, right? Everything's going to evolve. So I think trying to get that kind of thinking in is important. Um, and then the other side of it is getting people even more involved in the strategic planning. We did our strategic planning completely remote this year, and it was by far our best strategic planning process we've ever had. Because yeah. I think before with inclusion, we were like, okay, everyone's in a big room together. Even though there's really only four people talking and setting this strategy, we were inclusive, which was not true at all, right? So people were, they were in the room, but they were just listening. They weren't part of it. And when we went remote, we formed these kind of cross-functional teams. So we gave them each colors and they would like meet and have this like virtual whiteboard and we had discussion questions and and they, everyone was bringing up, these are the most important questions to answer. These are the barriers we're facing. These are the big opportunities. And then we kind of brought that in um, to the strategy. And, you know, I wish I'd done this seven years ago. It was incredible and even since that process, I, A, we got a better strategy, right? Because you're getting voices from across the organization. But B, now people really are truly bought in on that strategy and not just their little piece of work, mm. right? Because they helped create it. So instead of owning this one thing that I was going to spend four months on, I'm really owning the bigger picture. So so if I need to let that that thing go... I think it's a little bit easier than than having my whole again like career built around this thing and now it's not happening. Yeah, uh, I like that. You know, um, getting people to own the bigger picture, and I, and I think yeah, because I think 
it is easier for you because you have that vision, right? And so making all these necessary changes uh, to make sure that the sheep uh, sales uh, is easier. So I like this idea of, you know, owning the bigger picture. And then, of course, the little details, you can always change the details of what's actually happening. Um, so pivoting isn't plan B. You know, there's a quote that goes that, you know, it's part of the process. Pivoting isn't plan B, it's part of the process. So it's not what you do once what you do fails, which is what many people do. It's, you know, this is not working, um, this big failure, and then suddenly we have to change everything. Uh, but I think it's it's what you do continuously while doing what you're doing, which is what you've just explained. So how does, because based on what you're saying, um, it seems like you guys are an adaptable organization because of all the changes that, you've happened, that have happened. So how, how do you build that culture? And more specifically, you give an example of, you know, um, how quickly you guys um, responded to COVID. What uh, hierarchical structures do you need to have to have an adaptable organization? Because I think in some places, bureaucracy gets in the way, you know, because you have to get so many approvals for anything. By the time you approve something, I'll give you an example. I heard uh, from a friend of mine, you know, um, who works at an educational institution, when COVID happened, there was a committee that was formed to do research in terms of what they need to do. By the time the report came out, it was, COVID happened in March, the report came out in September. And in September, everything was back to normal. <laughs> so, the school was open again, exactly. yeah. Everything we saw is, this happen yeah. in so many places. So yeah. how do people, where do people begin to build adaptable organizations and, and what structures in terms of hierarchy do they need to have to actually build organizations that can respond with agility? I'm not sure I have a great answer for you here. And I don't think there is any one right answer because there are trade-offs everywhere. And I think on this spectrum of hierarchy, like I fall maybe on the extreme of like, why do we need an org chart? Why do people need to have, like, we're all working towards a goal together. Like we should just like have people who do that and they can be called whatever they want. And yeah. Um, obviously that's not going to work as you get bigger. It works when you're five people, 10 people. Um, but once you're going, you know, we're 50 people now, you have to have some kind of structure. Mm -hmm. And, um, some people thrive in the, you know, in the kind of vague and ambiguous space where they have a lot of freedom. And then others want to know who is my manager? What are the rules? Um, so for us, it's been this kind of constant push and pull balance between those things. And, um, you know, I really love that we have a management team where we've got people on, on either side of that kind of people who are more extreme than me and being very like anti, you know, prescription and rules and everything should be flexible. And then people who are much more on the side of like, we need to be really clear with people. This is what you can do. This is what you can't do. This is who needs to approve what. And so it's nice to have that push and pull because it's always about balancing those two sides of things. And you're always going to have people who fall in different places along the spectrum, both in terms of how much they want to be able to control things and how much control they want. I shouldn't say control imposed, but like how much prescription or clarity they want placed mm. upon how they work and, and what they do. Um, so I think this is where it's so important to have a diversity of voices because um, 
you know, there, there are these ideas of like, I think, holacracy, right? Where you don't have um, fixed structures, you know, there you, you've got a very kind of flowing organizational structure that's constantly changing. And then you have the other side of things where you've got like a org chart with, you know, 12 different levels and, and everything needs approval from the next level up. And I think, you know, what, what it, we're always trying to do is adapt within the space between those and figure out what works for people and, and what doesn't. And also what's really required by, you know, with the regulations where wherever you're working. So, yeah, I mean, I think having... Um, we're, I'm still trying to work through this and, and the non, I shouldn't say I, like we as a management team and our whole team are trying to figure out, you know, how do you translate that quick adaptability from when you're 10, 15 people where you're just in a room together. So it's really easy. Like you need an approval. I'm 10 feet away, you know, ask me. And, uh, you know, I'm someone who's always, I like to argue things out, but I, once you've convinced me, I'm very quick to just kind of like change my mind and say, go. If you're going to have to convince me, but if you do it, yeah, we, we can adjust really quickly. Um, but now without that structure in place, and also what you don't want is people, you know, kind of bypassing their manager and then being like, well, Nisha said I could do it. And I'm like, probably going to say sure to like most of the things that you want to do. And then that, that causes problems, right? So I think this is actually where these objectives and key results come in, where, you want to create structure and clarity for people, but you also don't want to say, here are, here are your tasks and the exact things you want to do. So building some kind of a structure, because it's got to be there where people know this is what where I'm going, this is how I know whether I'm getting there, and then giving them that space to adjust and then having really great communication. So they're always like, when they make those adjustments, other people need to know. Mm. Right. If you give people and empower them with the ability to change the plans and everyone has that ability, you better have a really good system to tell people, hey, these plans have changed. And then again, adapt because that might affect someone else's plans. And 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 there's this kind of constant push and pull. Um, yeah. I don't know if I've answered your question. Yeah. But. Um, you've definitely answered my question. <laughs> so thank you. That was a great answer. And of course, I, I like uh, what you said, because, you know, this push and pull, um, I think there's a quote that says, you know, you know, you don't want um, uh, a leader who follows the rules all the time. You also want someone who knows when to break them. Uh, because, you know, it's like what you're saying. It's not really, because I think if you lean on either end, then it can become prescriptive in terms of this is what works and this is what works. But in a sense, our word is so complex where you need to, Sometimes really about finding that sweet spot, that balance. Uh, and you've mentioned something interesting, you know, so, you know, you said yeah, our diverse stuff. And Ubongo has a diverse, you know, in terms of race, um, gender, uh, age. So do you think there's a correlation between um, diversity um, in the team and being adaptable? Are the two things, is there a correlation between the two things? I think so, for sure. Um, I think both in terms of diversity of, of the things you mentioned, but then also diversity of ways of thinking, right? And how you see the world and, and frame things. Um, because, you know, with adaptation, you, you've got to be able to 
try new things and adjust. And um, if you have all people who think in the same way, Mm -hmm. then it becomes really hard to, yeah, do something different or try something that requires a different kind of thinking. Um, So having that diversity and especially people who disagree, right, on how things should be done. I, I really am a believer that there's no right way. So you need people who are willing to try different things and who are going to push back on each other. Um, so, I mean, absolutely. I think having, you know, diversity in terms of gender and race and um, nationality and background. Are you from a rural or urban background is, um, you know, it's always going to make the ideas you have better and the work you do better. Um, also those different things form different ways of thinking for people. And it's beyond just the surface level diversity. I think it's really important to think about, do I have a great mix of people who are, you know, you need your super organized folks who want, who are going to put every little detail in a spreadsheet. And then you also need your kind of free spirits who are going to go. And what you have to do is find a way to get them to work well together because you need both of those things and you need every other, um, you know, different kind of idea you can have in there too. Um, I guess the key is you still need them all to be open thinkers, because if you're going to put such a mix of people in the room, different academic backgrounds. I mean, we have so many people who are Mm -hmm. self-taught. Then you've you've just got to make sure they're all willing to be open to other people's thinking, even if they don't agree with it. Mm -hmm. Um, Interesting. Uh, Now, with pivoting and I guess adapting, uh, timing is a big factor. Um, I think, you know, some people tend to think that, you know, sometimes adapting too quickly can be a problem or too late. Do you think timing uh, is a crucial factor or do you think there's no such thing as wrong timing when it comes to adapting? I think that it's hard to worry about it because... I mean, I can sit here and say what the right timing is going to be, but at the end of the day, the right time to adapt is the time when you need to adapt, right? And you you just kind of got to be in it in the minute. Um, And uh, yeah, you don't want to be too reactive, I guess. But at the same time, yeah, you don't want to miss the boat. So um I would say you got to be very open to the signs around you and and listen, right? Something I, I have like a Slack reminder every day that t- just tells me, listen, um, like Nisha, remember to listen today. Because especially when you're the person who's been in charge for seven years, you get used to hearing your own voice and you're not listening to people. Mm-hmm. And so it's really listening to the voices around you, both, you know, within the team and then within your users and all of that. You know, I'm, I religiously read every user testing report. Um, All of the research that we do, I go through the quotes because that's what's going to tell you whether you need to adapt. It's what people on your team are saying, and it's what people outside are saying. It's not your own like, oh, I really feel we, you know, it shouldn't be about your own opinion. That should be formed by what's, again, it's your environment and what's happening around you. And I think if you're doing that, then hopefully that's going to indicate for you 
that that you have to adapt. And so it's less of a decision of like, this is the right time to adapt, but like, oh, we got to adapt. We got to do something here. Um, So I think rather than worrying about the timing or like, what should I as a leader do here now? How do you make yourself, and I'm not a great listener, right? Like this is actually something I really need to work at. And every day I'm like, oh my God, you know, I, if I come back and reflect, sometimes it's like, why didn't I just sit back and listen there? But, um, when I do, it's always the right thing to do, right? It's, it's, it's making sure that I, I can hear what's happening around so that we can, can make that right decision and adapt as we go. Yeah. I like that. Cause, because I, I was going to ask you, you know, um, how how do you build uh, or how do you develop this skill? You know, foresight and um, learning ag- agility in a sense, and, and you know, and I guess adapting agility. And, and I think you've sort of like answered it. You know, this listening, being mindful, being present. Um, I think what's happening presently can sort of inform you of what could potentially come. But 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 I think again, but that whole push and pull. I think it's this balance between being present, but at the same time always looking, you know, uh, towards the future. And, and I guess what, what are you learning from what's happening right now? And what is everyone saying about what could potentially happen the next day? And I guess the, the balance, and I, and I think that balance definitely is hard to, to strike. Yeah, for sure. You need the balance. And then actually it, it is a skill. I think this, like the, the change and the adaptation and, and at Definitely one thing that comes from now, we've been doing this for seven years, experience is that like nothing's ever as big a deal as you think it is, right? Like it it just, you constantly get hit by, it. We're, we're always saying like, we just have to get over this one huge crisis, right? And then we're good. And, and you know, that's not the case, right? More things are going to come along, but whether it's dealing with, you know, new government regulations or, or things that are happening or, or big changes we have to make inside, it can feel so big when you're in the middle of it. Um, and, and I think now it just, you know, once you've done it so many times, I, you don't want to get numb to it, right? And you have to recognize that, especially for other people who maybe haven't been through that, it is they're going through what what you went through that first time when you had to make some big, really difficult decision to change. Um, but yeah, I think the more we do it, um, the more, you know, we accept, everyone knows that like the only constant is change, right? Like, I don't think anyone argues with that. It's just kind of sometimes hard to accept. Um, and, and the more we do it and we build that muscle and we talk about it and we reflect upon it and we see why it was good or why it wasn't. And maybe at some point you, you change back. Um, it just, I think builds a certain resilience and, and ability to, to deal with things that, um, used to seem like such a big deal. And they're now kind of like, Hey, you know, we've been through a lot. We have to adjust. Things are being thrown at us all the time. Like I, I really do feel a lot of like, empathy and want to find however I can help like people who are trying to start something right now. Cause I think the environment is, is even harder than when, when we were starting up. Um, and, you know, we've been able to go through so much and weather a lot and grow and get to a place where we've got a certain degree of, um, kind of, I don't know, staying power and, and resilience that's, that's built up because we're in so many different countries now and, and we have a really diverse and strong team. Um, 
But yeah, at the end of the day, you just have to deal with what, you know, you, you can't control the environment around you. Um, and you have to, to keep going and adapt and, and have, I think, again, it's just coming back to having that big vision, figuring out how, how do we stick by our principles, but adjust in order to get there. And then the thing that I always come back to, that's, that's what I love about our vision and what we do at Ubongo is every challenge I face I find a way that the work we're doing helps to fix that challenge, right? Even if it's 20 years from now when a kid who's watching our show grows up with a slightly different sense of, um, you know, social responsibility or something like that. It's like, okay, there's difficult things we have to deal with, but we are actually doing something for the long term that's hopefully systemic change that can help, you know. Sometimes it's a stretch for me, but I'm like, yep. we're, we're going to address that by by doing doing something now, and hopefully in the future, it, it helps to change things in the environment that I can't control right right now. I, I, I like that, and I think uh, you know you guys are definitely doing that because I remember I think I was uh, watching a video uh, of uh, a person who used to work for I think KGB, uh, and he said you know I guess in the intelligence uh, world, uh, you if you want to change how a generation thinks it takes, I think, 10 to 15 years and of just, you know, educating and indoctrinating a generation. <laughs> and I think, you know, it's what you're saying now, I think 10 years from now, you know, all the themes, uh, whether it's Ubuntu and all the different ideas that you guys are pushing in your content, there'll definitely be a generation of um, African children who think a certain way and who think differently than us who, I guess, grew up in a, at a time where, um, Ubongo didn't exist at a time where I guess, you know, it's really mostly Tom and Jerry and like, <laughs> so, so, so I like that uh, long-term thinking and I think, yeah, definitely you, the, the rewards. And I think that's definitely has to be something that pushes you when the going gets tough because you are not changing or impacting a person's life. I think the satisfaction that comes from that is far greater than, um, any immediate, whether it's monetary or recognition or awards and stuff like that, I think that can definitely uh, add a lot of fuel to your hustle when the going gets really tough. Now, as we're drawing to a close, um, Mike Tyson, who you know was a, at one point was a world heavyweight champion, uh, is quoted saying that you know everyone has a plan, right? He was talking about, you know, going into the ring. Everyone has a plan and, and until you get punched in the mouth, so to speak. That's what he said. And so I guess I believe winning both in, you know, sports and I guess in life, it's really not just about having a plan, but it's about instinctively connecting to, you know, a spontaneous moment where that opportunity happens and, you know, you seize that opportunity. And I think what you shared, you know, uh, just a few moments ago of what happened when COVID happened and you said, okay, Let's just put everything out there for everyone to access it. So that eye for opportunity, you know, where you you know instinctively, okay, this is the thing that we probably maybe need to explore or do. Um, what is the thinking behind that? How do you develop that? Is that is that something a person is born with? That eye, because I think there are people who just know uh, when those moments open up. Is it is it inborn? Is it developed? And if it's developed, what questions do we need to be asking? You know, to eventually become the person where that just flows with from you. It's a good question. I um so so there's definitely certain people are maybe more inclined towards kind of the the faster action. 
um, and really getting stuck in on something and, okay, we got to do something now. Um, but when you say that kind of instinctual, like this is the thing to do, I actually, I, I think that, you know, if sometimes my instincts are definitely wrong um, and actually it may seem like something's like instinctual and I know it's, it's right, but actually I think it's all the work that's been done up until that moment mm-hmm. of listening and having this kind of intellectual curiosity around what you're doing that's actually building up a bunch of information that your brain is then able to act upon. Um, so now how to balance this with time is difficult, right? And But I, I really do think that having a very open approach and, and kind of like pulling everything in that, that information and that listening is, is building that foundation for when you're going to need it. So I take calls with lots of different people, even if I'm not sure exactly how we could work together, because I'm always learning something from what they're doing. And then maybe someday in the future, you know, when a crisis hits and now all of a sudden, like, like, gosh, there's people who are like, you know, doing this random thing with USB sticks in a rural area, they're exactly who we need. So um, it's not that I had some instinct, it's that I was paying attention to lots of different things happening, meeting people, listening to people, um, and, you know, I, I, I just try and get out as much as I can and, and like see what's going on um, because all of that information is event and that learning is what I think is actually that, that you're responding with. It's not some like, I'm a great leader. I have some like inbred instinct that is going <laughs> to have me do the right yeah. thing. It's just, um, I've been lucky enough to be able to like stuff a lot of life experience um into a short period of time. And, and as the CEO, I, I, I have this privilege of being able to be involved in what everyone is doing and, and seeing it. And I, I tend to meddle too much, right? But at the same time, I'm just learning what's happening in different places. And then that's giving me, you know, these, I think they call it constellating, right? Like you've got a bunch of these like stars in the sky. And then once you need to, you can draw the dots between them. And it's not actually because you're like, some super smart person or amazing leader. It's just that you happen to have gotten a lot of this information through the opportunity to see what everyone in your team is doing, to hear what your users are getting, to to talk to the funders and see what they're thinking and, and meet all of these different, you know, potential partners or people who are doing interesting things out there. So, so it's just like, you've got a lot of stars in that sky and then you just got to kind of make the links mm. between them. Yeah. Um, I, I like that. I think uh, I heard uh, probably a week ago, maybe 10 days ago, uh, Jordan Peterson, who said, you, he asked a question, you know, he's a oh, rather a statement. He said, you know, are you as intelligent as you are educated? And I think it, it goes, boils down to what you said. You know, I think sometimes we can't, have instinct, but it's uninformed instinct, really, you know, you don't really, you don't have all the information that you would need to actually, you know, I guess, um, in the information that would inform your instinct. So, so I like that, you know, that the getting as much information as you can. So it's, it's really not what happens in the moment. It's everything that's been happening uh, prior to that's built, you know, that's informing uh, your instinct or your thinking in that particular moment. And, and yeah, and I think it goes back to that, you know, what is it, uh, 
quote by JF Kennedy, you know, like uh, leadership and learning are indispensable to each other. So it's this idea of you always have to be learning. You always have to be informed. You always have to know what's happening um, around you, whether in your industry or even, I guess, uh, in other sectors as well, because you never know, like you just said, you never know when you're going to need that. And I think that's, uh, it's easier said than done, because I think once someone gets, you know, you get in this whirlwind of your day-to-day, sometimes you can be so focused and so locked into what you guys are doing and completely, you know, miss out on not pay attention to what's happening outside of your organization. And so when that moment comes, maybe your instinct might be wrong because you didn't have all the information. So um, I guess this is my last question to you is how, how do you intentionally, you know, pay attention to what's happening? Because I think if there isn't an intentionality uh, for someone who's, for them maybe reading or talking to people, there are people that doesn't come natural for them. You know, there has to be a certain level of intentionality to actually uh, build that. Um, how how do you do it? Maybe it's natural for you, but uh, what would you advise for someone who, this is not their natural element at all to, you know, uh, take random calls with different people or just go to events and connect with people, or be curious about other, for, for people who that's not natural for them, how... What advice, I guess, do you have? I know we've been talking about prescriptions, <laughs> but hopefully maybe uh, a less pres- prescriptive advice. I don't know. Yeah, actually, it's. I think it's about finding what works for you. So I'm actually not at all a networker. Like, I hate just going to random, like, if, if it's like some embassy thing or whatever, I'm always going to like hand it over to someone else. I don't, I don't actually like small talk. Mm. I, I'm an ideas person and I'm curious. So I'm much more likely to want to talk to that like young entrepreneur who's like has some exciting idea. And I'm like, oh, I don't know really whether this fits with us, but Hey, I'm, I'm curious what you're learning and what you're doing than, you know, go to the place with all the big names and, and, and try, you know, Um, network and chat with them. Whereas other people, that is their way. So I think it's actually finding what, what is interesting to you and, and just going with that and not trying to force yourself to be some kind of person who you're not. I mean, of course I do go to the big events if I need to. Um, but you know, I really like, um, I like the kind of more, science side of things. I love reading about neuroscience and all of that. So if something like that is coming out, I'm, I'm reading it. And then I, I'm not actually, frankly, super interested in like the business literature. Like I, I'm sure I can learn a lot from you and, and I should be listening to your <laughs> podcast because like, I don't like, it's actually the, this to me, that's the stuff I need so that I can do the interesting things that I want to do that are going to like have impact and, yeah. and make these changes. Um, and so it, yeah, uh, I would just say like go f- find your own way to do it. Um, but again, it's it's that that listening. So listen to the people around you. Um, you know, if someone on your team is like, "Hey, I I saw this thing. I think it's really interesting. Have you thought about this?" Like, yeah, pay attention to it. Think about it. It might it not, might not be what's going to turn out to be right, but. Um, I think the key is having that open mind and then finding the right ways for you, whether it is, you know, reading business and leadership books and Harvard Business Review, or I don't know. I mean, there's 
a ton out there on YouTube. Like you can learn a ton through what are what are people talking about and doing on YouTube. You know, if you're a social media person, um, you know, you get a sense there too. Um, but I think that the one thing, if I'm going to be prescriptive on something, right, is listening to the users, right? Like there may be a million different kinds of experts out there, but at the end of the day, your users are the people who are, are telling you what you need to do. And if you're a leader, and this is something I've had to learn, like to me, it's always been very natural. You know, since we started, I think I used to just like call parents and kids on the weekends, right? Every weekend. And like, I just learned so much from that about what we as Ubongo should be doing. But as a leader, your users are actually the people you're managing. And that has been more of a process for me to really realize that like, it's not just about the kids. It's also about the Ubongoers. And, and I need to be doing more listening and paying attention here. So yeah, when, when I say have that open mind and intellectual curiosity, it's not just about the quote unquote experts. It's really about everyone around. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, just just suck in that information because at some point, you know, the the more you've got there, then it's going to twig something in your mind, and you you don't actually realize it in the moment. Sometimes I'm like, I had to go back, or like people ask me, but like, but why? And then you go back, and it's like, oh yeah, because like when we tried that, this happened, and then when we talked to those people in Nigeria, this is what they said, and it's kind of like the amalgamation of all that learning mm-hmm. is now coming to why I think that this is what we need to do now. Yeah. Um, yeah, um, <laughs> I, I like the prescription, you know, pay attention and, and listen. And I think I like this intellectual curiosity of listening, not just to, cause I think sometimes it, it is, you know, we're more inclined to listen to the experts because there's this preconceived idea notion where I learned something from them. Right. Um, but I think it's about listening to everyone. And I think, uh, there's a lot of training happening around listening. And I think some, some people think it's redundant uh, listening. Come on, I've been doing that my whole life. Um, but I think there is a certain there's a high level to listening where I think once the person, once you get there, then, you know, like you said, listening to your people, listening to the customers, listening to whether it's your donors, listening to what's happening um, in, in your country. And I think it's just all these different spheres. Once you have all that knowledge, then you can definitely uh, be more informed uh, when you're thinking of ideas, when you're uh, making decisions, when you're trying to respond to either a crisis or anything else. So uh, we have arrived to basically the end of our conversation. Now, if somebody wants to get involved with uh, Ubongo, where do they start? Whether it's a parent who maybe they're listening and, you know, they ha- they want their children to start engage, uh, engaging with your content, or maybe they're an organization that says, okay, you know what, maybe we want to start a conversation with Ubongo, you know, and see where, where that goes. Where do, where do they, how do they uh, get in touch? Yeah, we, we're very multi-platform, so we're everywhere. Um, so for, for our shows, Akili and Me and Ubongo Kids, you can find them on YouTube. Just search Akili and Me or Ubongo Kids. Um, Facebook, Instagram, everywhere for Ubongo. Our website is ubongo.org. Um, our email, which I shouldn't say this, but still comes to me, is info at ubongo.org. I am very easy to get in touch with. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, as I said it here now on your podcast, so I, so I better live to that, with that. Like, I'm always interested to hear about what people are doing and, and different ideas and, and get input. Um, and I think actually the biggest change that I'm really trying to prepare myself for, right? It's easy to sit here and talk about this, but, but you talked about the KGB stuff, right? About this kind of like idea of indoctrination and stuff. Like, at the end of the day, I strongly believe that we as Ubongo are doing, like, our job is not to tell kids what to think. 
right? It's helped them learn how to think. And at some point there's this handover, right? Where like, if we've been giving kids the foundation, giving them these mindsets to believe in themselves, um, the change that I am trying to prepare myself to be ready for is when they, that next generation, say, actually, this stuff you've been spouting yeah. about Utu and Ubuntu, no, 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 that's not what we need. Guys, this is what we need in the world, and I'm, like, trying to prepare myself to yeah. be ready for and And even within leadership in the company, it's not about, like— I, I have to get out of the mindset about it's me constellating and knowing the right decision to how are we empowering everyone to do that. So I think actually the biggest change that every leader needs to prepare themselves for is like that change of like not being in charge and really handing over the reins. And um, I mean that not just within the organization, but literally within what we're doing in our work. If we're really about empowering the next generation, then at some point, very soon, they need to be in charge and saying, these are the things that we need to learn and we need to be seeing. Wow. So um, yeah, get in touch and tell me what you think it is. I've put it out there. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Nisha. Actually, that's a pretty, uh, I'm excited, but it scares me if I, to be completely honest, because yeah, we, right now it's a generation full of there are a lot of yes people out there, people who are not free thinkers, people who are not, like you said, you know, because we, our education for many of us was prescriptive, prescriptive, you know, it's, this is what you do. This is how you do it. Right. Uh, but I think now giving the children the mental models and I guess the guiding principles and allowing them to explore and uh, that is going to be challenging for a generation that was raised on prescriptions. So yeah, I, yeah, definitely. It's exciting, but it's scary. Um, but I think, like you said, you know, it's inevitable. It's coming. It's going to happen. It's still, it's happening in some places right now and we have to be ready for that. And I think that's going to explode in the workplace because mm -hmm. it's, it's going to be a generation of course of, you know, and I think that collision, hopefully, you know, it uh, leads to something beautiful. And I'm, I'm sure it will lead to something beautiful. Um, thank you so much, Nisha, for, you know, making the time to actually have this conversation with me and uh, for pouring into the people who've been listening. You've uh, have to go back and listen to this again because you've said a lot of profound things. So, again, thank you so much for your willingness to do this. Uh, and to our listeners, thank you so much for listening. And until next time, this has been another episode of the Why Lead Others podcast. This has been the Wildlead Others podcast brought to you by Wildlead Consultancy. Wildlead Consultancy is a capacity building firm that exists to build highly productive and innovative leaders. To reach us, go to www.wildleadothers.com.